Krista Archer has had a journey with infertility and loss. She's married to her husband, Daniel, and has two little boys. They recently relocated to Idaho and are totally loving it. Before their youngest was born, they walked through infertility and recurrent miscarriages. Krista believes in talking about the hard things in life and always showing up authentically and transparently. On this episode, Krista shares her journey, her story, and everything in between. This episode isn't just for those who have experienced loss and infertility, but those who may know someone that have experienced it as well. Let's dive in. Six years ago, I started on a journey I never thought I would be on. A journey to break down walls and barriers around weight, body image, self-love, fitness, habits, mindset, divorce and marriage, and career. Along the way, I've met incredible people, ventured through struggles and celebrations, learned amazing things, and developed in ways I never thought possible. On this podcast, you'll meet the people I've met along the way. You'll learn how to break down your own walls. You'll learn all of the components to truly glow. I'm your host, Callie Wiley, and this is the Glowponent Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Glowponent Podcast. I have my friend Krista with us today, um, who I have known for, I feel like, forever, um, and have had a chance to connect with her and just we've always had so much to talk about about different things and different things happening in our lives and so today we're going to dive in to sharing story around loss and infertility chris has become an advocate to sharing her story around loss and infertility um, and bringing up some of the hard stuff that that people don't always want to talk about but making people feel secure and like they're not on a journey alone um so krista welcome hi Thanks I'm, for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited, Krista. Can you just jump in? Um, let's just dive right in and just share our your, your story. Like, how how did you get to where you are now, sharing around loss and infertility? Yeah. So um, it's been about five years that I actually received my diagnosis for bipolar disorder. And I used to very much be the type of person that bottled everything up, um, dealt with everything on my own. And when I was 24 years old, I had a complete mental breakdown. I ended up in therapy, and that's when I got my diagnosis. And from that moment forward, I promised myself that I wasn't going to bottle anything else up. Um, so then fast forward a year and a half, um, I met my husband, and it took about a good year for us to even get pregnant for the first time and whenever we did I kind of kept it to myself for a few weeks but that didn't feel right um I wanted to be able to celebrate you know the pregnancy and the life that exists and some people like to hold on to that for themselves for you know until you're in the safe zone out of your first trimester or whatever but that just didn't feel right for me and Right after we heard the heartbeat and everything, we got news that we probably weren't going to be able to um, retain that pregnancy. And it happened again two more times within a year. And the entire time, I just wanted to be open about it because it's so isolating. And going through that experience for me even made me feel like I was living in somebody else's body. My body betrayed me. And to be able to open up about it and talk to other families and other women who've experienced what I have made me feel a lot less alone. And though I wouldn't wish that pain on anybody, it's also nice to not suffer in silence or not feel ashamed because it's not talked about. 
Um, so I, I just talked about it. Like there was no turning point for me that made me feel like I could talk about it. But in the same sense that, you know, now I have a two-year-old and I have a nine-year-old. And if I was to lose one of them, I wouldn't keep that to myself. I wouldn't hide that from the world. Those are just as much my babies as, you know, the babies that I lost in pregnancy. So for me, it just felt natural. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's so interesting because I feel like people are slowly starting to talk more and more about it. But even then I know that there are people that have experienced miscarriages that do feel that shame and feel that, that stigma that there is shame around, around loss and around like what was wrong with my body and why, why me, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, like my mom is an addict and she had two kids, no problem. Right. So then for me to, you know, take my vitamins and show up at the doctor and do all of the things that I'm supposed to be doing and for me to still not be able to have a baby. But then you hear horror stories of, these horrible people who shouldn't have children and they can have children and it makes you doubt everything about yourself. Like there's something wrong with your body or you're undeserving or, you know, you question who you are as a person. And, um, you know, for me, it caused me to struggle with my faith because why would God allow this to happen to me? You know? So I became very angry. And I think that that's also part of like where the shame comes from because you're just so confused. And a lot of times you don't get an answer from the doctor. There's there's never really like a definitive cause for recurrent miscarriages most of the time. Um, they brush it off and then that makes you feel unheard. So not knowing why it's happening and not having any control over it puts you in just like a really weird mental headspace. Yeah, yeah. And I feel I like know, there's... Different. And I feel like there's not... The one, the, the main thing I feel like people aren't talking about is the grief around losing an, like an unborn child and that people I think feel Mm -hmm. like it's not something to be validated, if that makes sense. Like people don't, I don't know. The people that I've talked to about it have said that they just really struggle like openly sharing because they're like, well, like it's an unborn baby. So what does that look like for me? And, and people not understanding that grief. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think part of that comes from like the things that other people say to you whenever you experience a miscarriage, Um, you know, people will very openly. And I know that in their mind, they're being comforting, right? Like nobody's saying anything necessarily to hurt your feelings, but they'll say things like, oh, well, at least it was early on. Or, well, at least you hadn't felt the baby move, or at least you didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, or at least. You know, at least you knew you could get pregnant. Like they say all of these very dismissive things to you. And so then it it minimizes your loss because to you, for, you know, everyone that I know, I know that there are, you know, certain people who don't believe that a baby's a baby until, you know, they take their first breath or whatever the case is, which that's a whole other thing. But for most people that I've talked to, you know, the moment you find out you're pregnant, like that's your baby. You wanted that baby. You loved that baby before, you know, before they've ever existed as, you know, a full human or whatever the case is. So I think that the, that part of it, like not feeling like you can recognize that loss or grieve that loss because you didn't get to name that baby or you never found out if that was, that baby was a boy or a girl or, 
it comes a lot from the dismissive things that people say, thinking that they're making you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I feel like there's so much around like all grief. I feel like, and maybe because I'm in a season of grief. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of things that people say that are intended to be comforting. Um, but you're like, that doesn't really make me feel any better. (laughs) That really Mm -hmm. doesn't make me feel any better at this point. Um, do you have, this is going to put you on the spot a little bit and I'm sorry. Uh, but do you have things no, that people good. can say that would be a better way to approach or ways that, like if, while you're going through that season, um, if someone has someone that's gone through infertility, they've gone through loss, they've had a miscarriage. What are things that people can say that's going to be like less triggering and more supportive? Yeah. And I guess that would just depend on like, you know, the individual, but for me, like one thing I always tell people, cause I have a lot of people, you know, I've been so open and they'll tell me like, Hey, my friend's going through this. I don't know what to say to her. I'm like, just, you know, tell them that you're sorry and you're there for them. Like yeah. you cannot fix it. And I think that that's people's problem is they want to fix your pain for you. Yeah. And so they try to come up with these like, Oh, well, it was part of God's plan, which for me, when you said that to me, all I heard was, God intended for my baby to die. Yeah. And that's not, that's not comforting. Right. And I always think of it like I tell people too, if you wouldn't say it about if they lost their mom or their dad, don't say it about their unborn baby. You would never say, you know, you are, you just lost your mom. So nobody would ever tell you, well, well, at least your mom, you know, she made it to 50 or at least your mom made it to, you know, whatever. I don't know. People they have said some pretty crazy it. things. <laughs> people have said some very interesting things recently. Oh, I'm sure. But like, I just try to yeah. picture it, like talk about their unborn, maybe the same way that you would comfort them for a loss Definitely. of a child that they, you know, that they've gotten to raise honor that and you know I have my best friend she had several miscarriages and then she had um, her baby at 23 weeks she lost her baby at 23 weeks so she had to deliver you know a fully formed baby and I feel like that loss is so much more involved from you know the miscarriages that I've had not to lessen what I've gone through but I think there's a different level of involvement and for people who've experienced that, you know, I have a lot of friends who have, and all of them say, like, use their baby's name, mm-hmm. talk about their baby, don't, you know, honor the fact that their baby was beautiful and talk about their baby the same way that you would if they hadn't lost their baby. Um, but I think that's like the biggest thing for me is just, just acknowledge the fact that you cannot fix this pain for them and you're going to cause more pain trying to come up with cliche phrases that you think are helpful and they're really not it's okay to say I have no idea what you're experiencing but please just know I'm here if you need me I don't know what that pain looks like for you but know that I'm here and I think that that's okay to to acknowledge that you don't know you don't know what to say you don't know how to comfort them but if they need you you're there yeah I love that and I think that there's so many times that that's applicable that um just acknowledging people and, and saying, I see you, I hear you, I'm here for you, um, Mm -hmm. can be so powerful and so comforting versus trying to come up with all sorts of things that may or may not be the right things to say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
And I get it. It is like, it is super difficult. Cause like, I don't handle loss well, like losing my grandparents or anything like that. I've never dealt with it well. So, you know, like even with you, I've told you like, I don't want to overwhelm you. I'm here, but I'm not going to be in your inbox every day either. Like, Hey, yeah. how are you? How are you? How are you? Cause for me, that's overwhelming. I may yeah. be having a good moment where I'm not thinking about all that pain. And then I get a text and I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm crying in the middle of Target, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's so true too. Like knowing who you're talking to and kind of knowing your audience and knowing, knowing where people stand, I feel like is so, so important too. Um, because you're right. Like there are times that I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then like a lot, I had a lot of people reach out on my birthday that everyone like, this must be so difficult for you. This must be so difficult to go through your birthday. And I'm like, well, crap. Now all I'm thinking about is how difficult this is. How difficult. Yeah. <laughs> like that's all I'm focused on now is like, wow, this is really difficult. This is really difficult. And I don't know that I would have thought of it that way if I hadn't gotten 38 text messages, all that said like, oh my gosh, happy birthday. This must be so difficult. And so I feel like just knowing those levels of like, what to say and when to say it is so, so important. And I feel like culturally we've not really been trained to what that even looks like. Like, I feel like this is such a new topic for so many people. Oh yeah. I think so too, especially surrounding, you know, um, like pregnancy loss. Yeah. It's historically almost never been talked about openly, you know, it's, happening more and more now and I think it's so awesome because there are really great communities that are formed over social media because a lot of women they you know they don't have someone in their personal life who's ever experienced the type of loss that they have because the statistics are actually one in four pregnancies will end in loss that doesn't mean one in four women will have a loss but one in four pregnancies So if you're pregnant eight times, chances are two of those, you statistically have the likelihood of losing. Wow. And that's just, that's just per pregnancy. So not everybody may have somebody in their life who's experienced a loss, yet they could have had five, six, you know, plus losses. So having somebody to talk about it with, I think it's just, I don't know, it's forming a really beautiful, like community of strangers who've connected on a really painful part and I always tell people like yeah now you have a membership to like the worst club ever and I'm so sorry you're here but you know know that you're not alone you have support because there comes a lot of like ugly feelings with it too you know Um, it was really hard to see somebody else having a baby and announcing their baby's birth or announcing their baby shower or their gender reveal like those were really really painful moments when I was losing babies one after the other you know so being able to have a safe space where I don't have to look at everybody else's great pregnancies happening for them and I can feel the ugly feelings that I need to feel out loud because sometimes you just need to say ugly shit out loud yeah um and not feel judged for it, it's it's comforting, but I wouldn't wish anybody to experience, you know, what so many of us have, but still having that community there, I feel like it's so important. And now that it's being talked about openly, women don't feel like they have to suffer in silence. A lot still choose to keep it private, and that's 100% an individual choice, but to not feel shame for it, I think is just huge. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, I like that you mentioned different resources. So I want to dive a little bit into that and then we'll take it a different direction. But um, yeah, biggest resources that you've found that have been helpful for you. Um, what have you found helpful? Oh, gosh, honestly, like it sounds so dumb, but Instagram there, if you search any hashtag, um, I have learned so much, you know, I've lived through my own story, but there are so many other sides of infertility. You know, there's IVF, there's IUI, there's, um, um, egg donation or whatever. But I also learned that there's embryo donation, um, or embryo adoption is what it is. So you can adopt somebody else's embryos if they place them for adoption. And that's another way that somebody can, have, you know, have a family of their own and carry their own pregnancy. And so honestly, like you can get on Instagram and search for any hashtag, you can search infertility, you can search pregnancy loss, um, whatever it is, and you will find other families, other men, other women who are advocating for what you're experiencing, and they're sharing your story. And I have not reached out to a single one of them, no matter how large their platform is and not have them respond. Yeah. I think it's just like finding your people. Yeah. I was just going to say, I feel like, so I love social media. A lot of people like are really hard on it and think that it, whatever. Um, I think there's a time and a place for it, but, um, the amount of community that you can find under any topic is so, so powerful. And I think that when you can connect with people that are going through experiences like that, that's where you're going to find that power. So I love that you mentioned that. And I love that. Have you found that like you have a lot of friends that you've never met in real life? Yeah. And they're all, um, you know, they all walk a different path. And so I have some who are still very deep, you know, in the middle of their journey. And some of them are very new and they've just had their first or, you know, their second loss. Um, there's one girl that I talk to quite often and she did adopt embryos. She had several failed IVF attempts and she went through embryo adoption. And because she was so open and shared her story, I think there's like two or three other families who had no idea that embryo adoption was even a thing. And they're now going through the process of adopting embryos to be able to carry their pregnancy as well. So it's, there are like a lot of people who have such different stories, but we all relate on like the similar pain. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know. like, I didn't even know that was a thing. So that's very cool to me. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't either. And it's so funny too, because, um, her son looks just like her husband and there's no like genetic relation, like no DNA relation, but they look identical. It's the weirdest thing. It's, but see, and I think that some of that's like, I'm big on like, like, there's universal things that happen because of situations. And so, um, I think that there's a reason for stuff like that. And I think that, I don't know what the reason is, but I'm always very fascinated by stuff like that. Cause I, I think that there's a lot of power behind manifesting things and like going, like trying different things to overcome hurdles. Um, and so I think that that's really beautiful and really cool. Yeah. It's definitely like wild to see. And then, you know, there's like this whole other side of it too um, that I don't feel like I've talked about a lot. So I definitely want to touch on it with you, but when you're going through infertility and you're struggling to get pregnant, right. Or to maintain a pregnancy, um, cause there's two sides of it. There's 
people who have infertility issues, like there's a cause for their infertility or maybe it's unexplained infertility, but then there's reoccurrent pregnancy loss. And so those are two different things depending on like which doctor you ask, but nonetheless, it's still a pain of trying to bring a baby into the world, right? And then there's this weird place that once you have that baby, whether it's a rainbow baby or, you know, you finally had a fertility treatment that worked, whatever the case is, you then no longer fit into this community that you used to fit in because the women that are really deep in the middle of their journey, they're triggered by your pregnancy. And you know that because you were once triggered by somebody else's pregnancy and you were triggered by, um, you know, a birth announcement or whatever. So these people that you had been so close with at one time, you're now a trigger for them. And that's like a really painful thin line to walk because you want to be there to support them. But because you've walked where they are, you know, there's some things that they don't want to see right now because, you know, maybe they've been bleeding for the last week and they're waiting for their baby to pass through their body or they just got, you know, notification that their beta draw came back and there was no confirmed pregnancy, whatever that is. But you know that like the, the baby that you got to bring home is such a trigger for somebody that you love and you care for because you've been where they are. So then you're kind of in limbo and it feels like there's no place for you anymore. It's so weird. It's the weirdest thing. I was going to say, so I've never, ever thought about that. I I've always, because I've, I've never been through it. And so I've never even considered like you, you're in a group of people that are so supportive and that you're, they're all going through the same journey and then you do get pregnant. And now what? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never even thought about that. Um, yeah. Cause it, it's so, it's so weird. Like they are happy for you, right? Like they want that for you, but deep down there's this part of like, I don't want to call it like a jealousy, but there's like a bitterness there. Um, because it just reaffirms for them like, okay, well now it happened for so-and-so and it's still not happening for yeah, me. Yeah. No, which makes complete sense. And I feel like that is an, an, a natural emotion that would happen in that situation. Yeah. Like that's a completely like we've been on this journey together. They were able to overcome it. Now what's wrong with my body? Why can't I achieve that? What's going on with me? Um, gosh, that's a whole, are there resources out there for people like that are experiencing that stage? Not, not necessarily like that. I found, I have just like, I don't know. You kind of like tread lightly, I guess. Um, cause those are still your friends. You still care about those people. You still love those people. Um, but there's also, you know, the part of you that feels like you have to filter certain areas of your life for them because you don't want them to, you know, be constantly triggered by you. You still want to show up for them. And, um, I don't know. It's so, it's so weird, but I, I think that as you move through things, you again, find like a new community of people because, yeah, now I have a two-year-old, you know, we, we went through a year and a half of infertility and we had three miscarriages and even with Daxon lost a twin. And, um, that was such a wild experience because after you've had, you know, a miscarriage or two, they start having you come in every other day for blood draws for HCG, um, series. And so your HCG should double within 48 hours. 
And so as soon as you get that positive pregnancy test, they'll send you for your HCG beta series draws and you just start going every other day to make sure your levels are rising appropriately. And so I vividly remember, like I can remember every bit of the day, um, I went in for my first two draws and then I got the results of my first two draws on the day that I did my third and my levels had dropped, which is automatic indicator of miscarriage. And I was already having bleeding at the time. And so I went into my supervisor's office at work and I was just crying and I told her it's happening again. And then a couple of weeks go by and I had my ultrasound and he was there and he was kicking and doing great and he's here now. But that doesn't change the pain that I went through, you know, and I always hate when people will say to me like, oh, everything you've gone through is so worth it now. And I'm like, not, not really. Like, I don't think it was, I don't think that I had to go through that to get to what I have now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm grateful Daxton's here, but I don't say like, oh, you know, it was so worth it because I don't think they're the same. I don't think I had to go through what I went through to have him. Yeah. I don't think that's connected. I agree. I agree with that completely. And I feel like that's another one of those things that socially is really talked about of um, more of those like triggering words, right? Of just how people are talking to people and that education around how people are talking to people. Yeah, I think so too. It's, and it's hard to like make sense of it because if, you know, I would go through what I went through again, knowing that I was going to get him at the end. Right. But I don't think that it was worth it. Like that pain, I didn't need that pain to appreciate having him. So there's, I don't know, there's just, there's so many different levels of grief that you experience, but going through all of that, even now having him, that period in my life still shapes who I am every day. It shapes who I am as a parent. And I know that I parent my youngest differently than I parent my oldest Yeah. because of what I had to go through to bring my, my youngest here, you know? So it's even affected like my relationship as a mother to my son, having gone through what we went through, because now I'm, you know, up until was born I was fully convinced that he was not going to live my entire pregnancy I was more mentally and emotionally prepared for him to die than I was to actually bring him home oh my like gosh. it didn't seem real to me that he was ever actually going to come home and even when he was born I remember like his labor was so fast my labor with Dax was all of like an hour and 11 minutes um And once he was born, I was still not sure that like he was actually going to come home because I was so conditioned to just prepare my heart for loss. You know, our first pregnancy, I found out Christmas Eve. um, So I did like a a gift for Daniel to announce and it was, there was so much joy in it, you know, and then with each subsequent pregnancy, it just became more of like, oh my gosh, we're so excited to, well, I guess we'll see what happens. Oh, which so takes away so much was, of that joy and so much yeah. of that, like the, the joy that comes from being pregnant. Right. Because oh you're gosh. just prepared at that point. Like, yeah, okay. We made it to 13 weeks, but that really doesn't mean that much because anybody who's walked, you know, through multiple losses or who has friends who've had stillborns, like you come to realize there's no safe point in pregnancy. 
Yeah. Right. And like, I feel like that's something that's not talked about is that there isn't a safe point in pregnancy. No, no, there's so much surrounding like stillborns. And, um, one of like the biggest common misconceptions that I always, every time, like I'm in mom's groups on Facebook, you know, or whatever. And moms will be like 36 weeks, you know, just a few weeks out from giving birth. And they're like, baby's not moving that much. Is this normal? And I always see somebody tell them, yeah, well, baby slows down at the end because they run out of room. Mm, No, that's not a thing. That is not a thing. But that misconception actually cost one of my friends her daughters because she believed that it was normal for her baby to not be moving as much at the end of her pregnancy. Uh, And so she didn't go. She just let it go. No. She let it go and found out at her next um, ultrasound the next day that she had lost her baby. And um, so that's just a, you know, there's so many common misconceptions that aren't talked about surrounding, you know, like paying attention to your body and trusting your body. And I always tell moms when they're like, is this normal? I'm like, if it doesn't feel normal to you, go, go get checked out because what's the worst that's going to happen? You look like you overreacted. Okay who cares, right? You went and got checked out. They told you everything's fine. They send you home. No big deal. But on the other hand, if you convince yourself, well, I don't want to be the woman who goes in and looks like I overreacted or you let people on social media who don't know your medical history or whatever the case is, you let them tell you like, oh yeah, it's normal for baby to slow down. And then you lose your baby over it. You can't get that back, you know? So there's just, there's so much surrounding like loss and miscarriages and then stillborns. Like there's no education around it. The doctors don't sit and tell you all of the things that they should tell you. Um, The medical system is pretty dismissive whenever it comes to concerns and pregnancy, which is so odd to me. Um, Bleeding's normal. Cramping's normal. It can be, but it can also not be. And I wish that, we were more prepared for, you know, things that could go wrong because it's not talked about. It's always like, oh, everything's, you know, you got pregnant. You're great. You're going to have a baby. Everything's so exciting. Everything is great. And the focus is always so positive, which I get. But there's also a really large amount of women who experience the negative sides of it. And a lot of times they weren't educated on what to expect. They weren't told you know to watch for bleeding while they were miscarrying or how much bleeding was too much or um and I think women are also conditioned to not not trust their bodies to not believe you know whenever they feel that something's wrong because they're conditioned to believe that everything's fine and everything's normal I don't know if that makes sense like no so I was just gonna say I feel like that's women's health in general um I feel like there's so much like depending on like even starting with like a like a gynecologist OBGYN like depending on who you go to there is like full blown different beliefs mm-hmm. around women's health and around like this just doesn't feel right and they're like oh it's just normal it's just normal it's just normal um you hear that around all sorts of medical things around women in general maybe I mean people in general but women's health yeah a lot I think so too I think that that's um I don't think that there's, you know, in school, you go through sex ed, right? And you fully believe at 
13, 14, however old they do sex ed. I really don't know. I feel like we did it like three or four times in school. Um, But everything you learn there tells you if you have sex unprotected one time, you're getting pregnant. You're going to be a teen parent, right? So then you grow up to be this adult that struggles with infertility and nobody ever told you about that. Nobody ever told you that your body is going to cause you to feel betrayed by your own body, that you're going to feel like you're living in somebody else's body or that everything that you were told up until you were, you know, 20, however, 25, 28, however old you are when you decide to have your first baby, that guess what? It's not always that easy for women. It's not always that easy for a family to bring a baby into the world. So there's no preparation. And I don't think there's ever going to be like any amount of preparedness that you could get from any book or whatever on how to deal with your feelings, you know, Yeah. but still, I don't, I don't think that anybody prepares you for the fact that this could happen to you. Oh yeah. It's definitely not talked about at all. You don't have, you're not mentally prepared. You're not mentally aware that this is even a possibility until it does happen because I actually had, Um, I had my first miscarriage before I had Jordan and I didn't even know that I was pregnant until I had the miscarriage and I thought that that's what was happening but I was like I was 17 um oh my son's screaming I don't know (laughs) I was 17 when I had my first miscarriage and I thought that that's what was happening because I'm not prone to like painful periods you know but it was a lot of blood and a lot of cramping and it was so painful. And it was later confirmed when I went to the doctor and, you know, they asked um, something completely unrelated. I was just having random spotting. So I had to have like a pelvic check. Um, and they asked if I had ever been pregnant before because my cervix was open. Because once you have a baby or a miscarriage, your cervix doesn't ever fully close back up. Yeah. Um, so they were able to confirm it then. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, so my first miscarriage, I didn't have any like emotional connection to because I didn't even realize what was happening. Nobody had ever, out of all the things that I learned in sex ed, that was not one of them. Um, and I also didn't realize the risks for it either. I'm RH negative. So with that miscarriage, I should have had a Rogam injection but I was 17 and I was uneducated. And then of course I didn't tell my parents. So not having that care or that knowledge whenever I was 17 possibly could be the reason that I had trouble getting pregnant after having Jordan because Jordan tested positive for the antibodies. Um, So my body created antibodies to prevent me from, you know, having RH positive babies essentially so that could have been a link to why I was having miscarriages and you know the healthcare industry is very dismissive I was 25 I think um 25 almost 26 years old when I started having miscarriages after Jordan uh, and I had had two and I had to ask the doctors can we do blood work or something can we figure out why this is happening? You know, I'm otherwise healthy. Like I shouldn't just be losing babies like this. And they said, oh, well, you know, it's pretty common. Okay. But, but not like, don't normal. want to, ch- <laughs> don't want to check, like yeah. check on something. So even 
going through all of it, you have to advocate for yourself so much, so much. Every doctor visit going through infertility, unless you find like a really, really great doctor, you're going to be advocating for yourself the whole way through, the whole way through. And it's just, it's so wild because that just adds another level of pain onto an already really painful experience because you shouldn't have to fight. You know what I mean? And then you're put in this position where you have to fight for yourself on top of struggling with losing babies or not being able to have babies. So there's all these added layers of pain that come with going through infertility and going through loss. Yeah, I do. I love that you mentioned way back when we started this conversation about bringing this into sex ed, sex ed because I don't feel like that, like no one has ever mentioned infertility at any point in any education about anything. Um, and you're right. Being able to, to educate kids to even know what that looks like for their own health and their own safety and their own X, Y, Z, I think is crucial. Especially too. Cause when I think about my situation being 17 and having no idea what was going on, you know, having a miscarriage, if that was to be a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl, she could hemorrhage. Yeah. She could have an ectopic pregnancy and start to hemorrhage and have no idea what's going on to her body because it's not talked about. Yeah. And a lot of times parents don't talk about it to their children either. And, you know, Jordan was, um, he was six whenever we were going through all of this. And I didn't hide it from him. Yeah. I didn't hide any of it from him. And, you know, of course, I talked about it in a way that was appropriate for his age. Um, but he very much knew that we were losing babies. And um, I was really, really lucky. I had two natural miscarriages at home, and then I had one DNC. Um, with the DNC, I had what's called a blighted ovum. So, there was a gestational sac, but there was no fetus forming in it. So I was very much pregnant and I was, um, I developed hyperemesis when I'm pregnant. So vomiting over 20 times a day, very, very sick, needing fluids constantly, having to go to the ER. Um, So I was very, very sick for this thing inside of me that was never going to give me a baby. And so, you know, going through it with a, when I know I have a baby and I'm going to get a baby at the end of this crap, it, it's worth it, right? Like I can deal with the vomiting, but um, I had to beg them to give me a DNC because I didn't want to have to go through. They told me it could be another um, three to five weeks before my body realized that it was sustaining a pregnancy that was void of ever producing a baby. So I opted for a DNC and they were really reluctant to do it. She did not want to do it. She told me, no, we don't do it this early and to me that was such a mental issue like that was um, I was going to use a bad word but um, (laughs) really messed with my mind (laughs) because not only was I going to lose this pregnancy but they wanted to force me to be pregnant for no reason which is for no reason horrendous to me yeah And I told them, I said, if you won't do it, I will find a doctor who will. 
and we'll find somebody else. So then they finally came back. They scheduled me for my DNC. But I was lucky enough that with my two that I had at home, I had no pain. I had no pain. I just had a lot, a lot of, you know, heavy bleeding, but I didn't have any pain. So I'm super grateful that I didn't have to endure physical pain while going through this horrific emotional pain. But that's not the case for a lot of women. And a lot of women aren't prepared for the fact that going through a miscarriage can very much feel like labor. And something else that I've just like, it's so weird because I've been through it, right? You would think that I would think of it. You can still have postpartum depression after having a miscarriage because your body still goes through those hormonal fluctuations. And that is never acknowledged anywhere. No, not at all. People don't acknowledge that half of that at all. No, but your body still goes through the physical effects of those hormonal fluctuations that can still cause postpartum depression. So some women, yes, you're depressed because you lost the baby, but for some women, it's more than that. And that is never acknowledged. And that's not even something I had ever given thought to either. Um, So there's so much more to being educated around it that allows you to support the people in your life who go through it. Yeah, absolutely. I know like even for my husband, he didn't know where his place was in the whole thing, right? Because it was my body. I was the one physically going through it. Um, I was the one that was, you know, I had in the single year, I had had over 52 blood draws. And I had had over 13 transvaginal ultrasounds. So the whole thing is very like physically invasive to be the carrier of the pregnancies. So for him, even for him, like he felt like his loss was minimized in a sense, not by me, but by everyone around us because all of the focus was put on me. And for him, he doesn't want to talk about it. But there's so many men who do, and they don't feel like they get to because it seems the loss is more significant for the woman. And I don't think that that's also talked about. So there's a lot surrounding the issue that kind of just gets brushed under the rug. And I don't feel like it's all necessarily fair. Yeah, I think the majority of it. (laughs) I think all of it is not very fair. Um, (laughs) Like, I think it's not. Like, there's just so much on this topic um, that that can be talked about. This could be like a 28 hour episode um, of everything. Cause oh, I do, sure. I feel like there's just so much um, like, I feel like I've learned so much today because I've not been through it and I've not experienced it. Um, but I feel like it's so helpful from both sides of like being able to like understand what other people are going through. Um, and then realizing that there's just this huge gap in education around this completely. Yeah. And that's why I talk so openly about it because there's so, there's so many questions surrounding it, you know, and a lot of times, like, um, when, you've, when you've been through a miscarriage, the next time you get pregnant, you are hypervigilant over everything. Um, women will wake up in the morning and feel their breasts to see if they're still tender, right? Because if they're, if they're still hurting, then you're still pregnant. Or if your nausea goes away, well, then, oh, gosh, you lost the baby. There's all this, like, hypervigilance. So there's all these women who want to know from others who've had miscarriages, like, did this happen to you or did that happen to you? And 
there's not always a place for them to openly speak about that. So there's like pregnancy apps where they have forums in there where you can create a username and talk to other women. But I think like just being able to talk to people who've been through what you've been through, it may not make you feel better, but it makes you feel less alone. You're still going to question every single thing that your body experiences because that's what loss makes you do. Um, But it makes it really hard for you to enjoy everything too. But at least you can connect with people who you relate to because you're not going to relate to Becky down the street who's had a perfect pregnancy and never experienced loss and everything's joyful for her. You know, she's not going to understand that if the baby hasn't moved in a half hour, you're freaking out. Like to her, that's wild and crazy because babies sleep, right? But to connect to other women, they can help you, remind you like, hey, no, you know what? Like take a breath, remind yourself you, you know, positive affirmations like yes I'm going to carry this baby or whatever it is that makes you feel good but you can relate to somebody else who's going to help you walk through every step of what you're going through whether you're in the middle of your journey and you've not yet been pregnant or whether you're currently going through a loss or your pregnancy after loss is a whole other thing but there are so many families that are experiencing what yours may be that you're not alone and I think that alone gives you comfort. Absolutely. So you literally just wrapped up everything that I was going to, like, I was going to cue a lot of that. (laughs) This is why you and I work well together. Um, but no, I think that that is, is also so important. I think that there's so much education that can come from this. I think that there's so much more that could be talked about. Um, and sake of time, there might need to be a part two of this because I think that there's so much more that we could dive into. Um, (laughs) Krista, give us, give us somewhere that people can connect with you, chat with you. Um, if they are going through this journey, they want someone to reach out to, um, how can people connect with you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram a lot. Um, my Facebook is like more private for family, but my Instagram is public and it's at Krista, K-R-I-S-T-A underscore and then Archer, A-R-C-H. No, I'm lying. It's at Krista dot Archer, <laughs> A-R-C-H-E-R, and underscore send. My bad. Perfect. Um, but yeah, I'm on Instagram, and I always tell people, like, there is nothing that is too personal. Like, you cannot TMI me any anyway. Like, after as many transvaginal ultrasounds as I've had, like, you can tell me anything, <laughs> and I'm good. We'll, we'll be fine. So I love that. There is nothing that you have to feel embarrassed talking about to me. I love that. Yeah, and Krista, I think that you do a great job just – talking about things on your profile too, um, and giving resources and education, um, just on there. If you're still not looking to reach out to anybody yet, but wanting to kind of get submerged into finding someone that's going through a similar journey, I think you do a phenomenal job at, at giving people resources and education. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks, Krista, for hanging out with me today. I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing your story. I know that this can all be very vulnerable and it's all very, it can all be very vulnerable and you've just been such, you've done such a great job being so transparent and I, I just want to honor that and I appreciate you for doing that. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it more than you'll ever know. If you loved this episode, leave us a review and press that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. We'd also love if you'd share this to your social media and tag us at The Glow Method. See you next time.